now we're getting into what I'm going to call our first installment of Quasi-Cubed, where not all three of the cubed members are here. Mostly because Jacob is very much tired. We are filming this late because, surprise, surprise, when all three of us are in school, we all have stuff to do. Uh, right now, the clock is reading 11.54 p.m. That is, of course, uh, Central Standard Time uh, for our New thank York you. listeners. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I think, th I, I know they'll appreciate it. Oh, all I right. know they will. Shout out, uh, uh um, Jeremy. <laughs> Brilliant. I, I, I give it up on life. All this right. Manifesto. All okay. right. JQ, you just get into it, man. You go ahead. All right. Ah. So the audience can't see it right now, but I'm right now pulling out a massive whiteboard to begin this conversation. All right. Let's, uh, let's start with um, let's start with the things that this movie does right, first and foremost. Um, we have a, a through line in this movie, believe it or not, in this hecticness we have from the beginning to the end. Uh, um, just this great through line, this great thematic through line that this movie could have built from. Now, when we're talking about Fix, first and foremost, obviously, if we're talking about me here, we're getting rid of Peter's parents, okay? They absolutely ruin these movies. They destroy the main message of being Spider-Man. Not only that, they completely devalue and overshadow Uncle Ben's inclusion in this specific rendition of the character. Webb should have moved his focus to Ben and May's relationship with Peter and forgotten about the parents completely, first and foremost. Now, moving on to this movie specifically, the most important motif in this movie is time. Time is the, literally, time and time again, no pun intended, we see the same theme coming again and again. Like, and I think, Ruben and I were talking about this a bit before, we think that this is maybe what Webb's original idea for this movie was before all this studio interference. Because there are several kind of like, there's so much connective tissue in this movie that comes right back to this idea of time. You have, um, So what the focus should have been, because we have Peter and Gwen's relationship. They're running out of time because she's moving to, she's moving to London soon to go to Oxford, right? Harry and Norman are running out of time because they're both slowly dying. Aunt May is reminiscing on time herself because she's like, ah, look at all this time I took for granted with Ben. I have to make good use of the time that I have moving forward. She pursues being a nurse. So the only thing that's really missing here is Max Dillon having some sort of time-related, um, kind of like, like a time-related problem or like something that where he's on the clock or there's a ticking clock for him. So at least in this point, we have to fit Max into that. So if we're fitting Max into that, what my suggestion would be um, is that he's running out of time um, to kind of like save himself. Let's say, for example, that this is uh, that this electricity, this electric, this electric condition that he's received is something where he doesn't want to become pure energy at first. All right, because there's this fear that he's going to lose sentience if he becomes completely, if he becomes completely energized or something like that. Um, let's say that Max is the main villain of this movie, the only villain of this movie. So you can still open with Alexi because that's a great way to show how crime in New York is changing, to introduce characters that will have bigger and more present roles in the future movie. Uh, maybe take out the pre the last scene. Ruben, so far, do you have anything to add to like any of this? Look, look, I think you picked up on something that's in this movie, though, because even in the Peter Parent thing, his dad says, and I quote, 
I wish I just had more time. That's the final line of his recorded message that Peter sees later on in the movie. Look, look, Ruben, I'm in complete agreement with that. And that is a clear sign that time is what's most important in this movie. But literally get rid of the parents because I hate them and I don't think they service this movie at all. <laughs> all right. Anyway, con continuing here. Um, okay, so let's make a few adjustments here. Um, let's go. Here we go, Ruben. We're diving in. Mm -hmm. So if Electro is the only villain in this movie, this would also help explain why Spidey is trying his best to make his web shooters electricity-proof. Electro would be a more persistent threat that he has to deal with at multiple points throughout the movie, and that keeps it interesting, okay? We have a forward-moving action plot in this movie is him engaging with Electro. Mm -hmm. In this rewrite, if we're to do it like this, fellow listener, Norman is going to be alive throughout the movie. And let's assume that Harry was present in the events of the first movie. Let's say that Harry was a part of the high school, that Harry is a very active part of Peter's relationship. Um, and to further get rid of the parents in this, con Peter's parents in the context of this movie, let's make a few more changes here. Harry's connection, or Peter's connection to Dr. Connors is that he is also an intern at Oscorp thanks to his connections to Harry and his own intelligence, which is showcased in these movies already. And he is assisting Connors in his research. And this way we have Peter and Connor, and they have a relationship established before the beginning of the Amazing Spider-Man movie, which was one of our biggest complaints in the first movie was that yeah. Connors' relationship with Peter yeah. sucked. It, it wasn't deep enough. It wasn't developed enough. That last scene was affected because of that, right? Where he's trying to save Peter and we have that moment where it's yeah. not working out for him. Yeah. So Peter and Connor have a relationship that's established from the get-go. Introductions are out of the way. We can get right in. This, if we do it like this, can also be how Peter and Gwen become friends at first. They know each other from school. They know each other at work. They have this friendship established from before the movie, and it's, and it, we show that they both have interest in one another, but they're maybe too afraid to say. Harry can be friends with both of these people, and we can have a similar dynamic to MJ, Harry, and Peter in the first movies. That is a good dynamic. If you wanted to keep something from the first movie, that, that, that big three dynamic I think would be good. It's a great way to kind of engage more with the high school. At this point in time, we hadn't had a Spider-Man that engaged fully with high school until Holland. If we engaged more in high school here, I think that would have been cool. Hell, even maybe consider adding MJ to the high school cast, but, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself in that. I know they had they had hired Chailene Woodley, and she had filmed, a couple, of, yeah. Yeah, she had filmed a couple of, of scenes for this movie. Um, but, yeah, okay, so the spiders, let's say, are something that Kurt has been working on already. Uh, but seeing that the lizard was a superior creature, he moves on from the spiders and starts work on that. As they're getting rid of the spider branch of Oscorp, one of them escapes and bites Peter. Boom, Spider-Man is born. Happenstance. There we go. Um, the rest of it, the rest of that first movie can go on as it is. That's fine. We're done there. That's, that's basically my fix right. of the first movie. I'll also fix the Uncle Ben thing. Uh, Fix that entire Uncle Ben thing. We already talked about ways of fixing that in the first episode of uh, our Amazing Spider-Man uh, duology, if you will. So, so let's get rid of this entire Max angle because I'm sorry, but this idea of Max working at, at being this like psychotic dude who's like mentally unhinged is not working when it comes to relatability. I wouldn't call him psychotic. He's crazy, dude. It's not a good representation of mental health is my main no, problem. No, it's not. But, uh, it's more of the isolation rather than mental health. He's not connecting with anyone. Man, I guess we can really relate to that after this last year, huh? 
Surprising that I didn't relate to it anyway. That's weird. That is a good point, though. I don't know, but I just, I don't like this idea that he's like, like, okay, if we're, if we're going to create new motivations here, it's not just like, oh, you see me or whatnot. So let's say Max is a respected scientist in Oscorp, okay? Not big, respected. Enlisted to help save Norman and Harry um, by using his expertise on, um, like, energy or whatnot. He has an unfortunate accident one day and becomes electro. That stays the same. The higher-ups at Oscorp cover up the, the accident to protect public image after the lizard incident, but they try to help him regain some sense of normalcy and stabilize his condition. So they're actively working with him to stabilize his electro condition. He's not a bumbling fool obsessed with Spider-Man, all right? Mm -hmm. Forget that entirely. Right. Dylan is running out of time because his new form is unstable. The way things are involving evolving he may end up losing sentience entirely because his body is tending towards becoming pure energy and nothing more uh they're able to make a suit that helps him keep himself together but he's in constant pain and searching for answers he's running out of time now too he's constantly looking for a way to keep himself as is um that can that can kind of be reflective of what doc ock's um storyline in spider-man and the and amazing spider-man video game was you know where it's kind of like he's trying, he's running out of time. So he's like, okay, I gotta figure oh, out. I mean, Spider-Man PS4, right? Yeah, before I get locked out of my body, I need to like find a solution to this. That's a great thing, and I think if we would have done that with Electro, that would have been great. As much as I hate the, the the Goblin disease, Ruben, and I'm not sure if you have a way to get the Goblin disease out of this. I think it is a thing that works within the context of this of this movie's of, of this movie's motif. So. Oh, if you're okay with it, let's say that the Goblin disease is still a thing for the sense of uh, motivic justice. All right. Hey, Unless... this is your this is your thing. I'm letting you run with this. Yeah, well, I can't believe I've been given such a big block of time. Okay, so Norman knows he's dying and that the disease he has will kill him and eventually Harry, but he doesn't want to get Harry involved, or he doesn't want him to know yet because he's still hopeful that a solution can be found ahead of time. He can spend the start of this movie secretly continuing Connor's research under wraps to find a solution, and this is how the Goblin Serum is then created. Norman dies before he can use it near the uh, the movie's end, but Harry, who has begun to show symptoms, is left a dose by Norman at the end of the movie. He takes it at the very end and as a setup for the next film, but he doesn't get involved in the climax. We'll kind of go back and forth on that, I think, on whether or not he should be in the climax. But the reason he's mad at Peter is not because Spider-Man's super blood or anything like yeah. that, but because he's he's mad at him because he's so occupied with Gwen and her move and uh, his uh, secretly being Spider-Man, which Harry doesn't know, uh, to care about him or his father. When he needed a friend, like, the most, when his father was suffering, when he was suffering, when, like, his life was in shambles and he had no one else to turn to, Peter wasn't there because he was putting other things ahead of his importance. His priorities were out of mix. So Peter decides to stay with Gwen against Captain Stacy's wishes, and though he has doubts about the morality of it, he doesn't break up with Gwen at the start of this movie. That's my opinion on this. I think that if we wanna if we wanna like run with this idea of, of time, what works best is that Peter and Gwen uh stay together at the end of the Amazing Spider Man. Uh, you have maybe the same, the, the promises scene, okay, I'll give Webb that. And then we have this movie where he's um, he's just kind of like with Gwen. He's trying to make it work because alongside being Spider-Man, he wants to have a normal life. Then he hears about Oxford and it all starts crumbling apart. Peter is an everyman who the audience has, have related to for years. 
So why not use him to portray a cruel reality of life, which is the strain that can be put on relationships following high school and college? As someone who is also kind of going through a moment where, like, I'm nearing the end of college and I have a relationship and, like, it, like you know, things are changing. One of us may go in one direction. One of us may go in the other. We're going to try. I mean, like, things are going to still be trying. We'll still be trying to make things work. And I feel like it would be great to portray that in a movie as well, especially when you have Peter as an everyman. Um, so May can have the same conversation with Peter about Ben. He can talk about how she wishes desperately that she had more time with him and how she took him for granted while he was around. So that Peter is now looking at his relationship with Gwen in a similar light to that. And he's trying to enjoy every second of it and be supportive even though he, know it's gonna, he knows it's going to end soon. Okay, Dylan, in the meantime, becomes obsessed with his research of his condition. He's upset at Oscorp because they took him off his alternate electrical energy project to help save Norman, even though Dylan was close to a breakthrough. All right, that's, that's our storyline here, Ruben. Even with all his intelligence, he lacks control over his own work. So here we have the secondary motif of this idea of control, or control over oneself, control over oneself's destiny, this kind of thing. Goes hand in hand with time. Hmm? And um, so, continuing from that, it's because of this that he becomes obsessed with control. He has gained control over electricity, and now the world is at his fingertips. In fact, why is he afraid of his new form at all and of becoming pure energy? Why is he afraid of like what he's becoming? Becoming pure energy would only make him more powerful, would give him the ability to do what he wants to do, to shape the world in the way that he wants to shape it without others interfering with, with their selfish purposes, without others getting in the way of him doing what he wants to do. This is how he comes into conflict with Spider-Man and why he hates him so much. It's not some personal thing, Mr. I, I'm your eyes and ears thing. Spider-Man is just actively getting in the way of this goal of his. And that is how the two come into conflict. We have a much more compelling villain in that way in Electro. And we have a much more co compelling connection between the two characters. It's just kind of another thing for, for Spider-Man to put up with in this movie. He's running out of time. He's running out of time with Gwen. There's Harry, going, there's Harry having his problems. And he can't help out because he's mm -hmm. tied up with these two things. Peter's realizing more and more throughout this movie how much the city needs him. But he can't stand the idea of leaving Gwen. Sure, Electro is wreaking havoc in the city, and Uncle Ben's wise words on responsibility are still ringing in his ears, but he wants to follow Gwen. He doesn't want his time to run out. He makes the decision to go with her to England right as Electro makes his final attack of the city's electrical plant to fulfill his goals. So Peter has that same, I love that you are my path scene. It's so powerful. I think that that's a great scene to keep in here. So have that moment where Peter's like, you know what, I'm going with you. Spider-Man and Gwen save the day by restoring the electrical plant. Mm -hmm. Doing so turns Dylan into pure energy as he wanted and makes him more powerful than imaginable. So this is an ending. Here we have a branch off Ruben, and you can engage more at this point. I'm sorry for hijacking this for so long. No, no, you're good, you're good. The question of whether we want Green Goblin or Electro to be in this last sequence. So... Uh, if it's Electro, he becomes pure energy. He takes Gwen to the clock power of and it almost kills her. Almost. Um, the inclusion of the clock is genius. And I want to talk about this for a second. Because we didn't get a, t a chance to talk about it in our main discussion of the movie. And it's mm -hmm. mostly because it doesn't fit. There's so much going on. It's just a waste of beautiful potential there. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if the writers understood just how incredible of a symbol they created in that moment. Peter is literally holding the minute hand back, trying desperately to extend his time just so that he can save Gwen and keep 
her with him, keep her with him forever. Yep. But even he can't stop the flow of time. Spider-Man yep. is all-powerful to a degree. But time Ooh. is something that you cannot stop. It is a flow that is against our best wishes, always against us. And all of us succumb to it in time. I, I wouldn't say Spider-Man's ever been betrayed as all-powerful. I'd say it's more like Spider-Man is a individual who has enhanced abilities, but he still has to deal with oh, I all, said, the, all, wait, all, all the pain that humans have to deal with. Did I that say all go away. Yeah, Did I say all power? Oh, I meant to say only powerful to a degree. Okay. That's what I meant to say. That's my bad. I read, I read, my, I read my little script here incorrectly. Um, but yeah, we have the scene play out the same because I love that motif. But Spider manages to defeat Electro and barely, barely save Gwen. All right, because yep. if we're talking about audience subversion, why not have it be that Gwen doesn't die in this version of the character? Because let's be honest, every comic book fan saw going into this movie, seeing the trailers, Gwen is dead. All right, they literally show like Andrew Garfield cradling something in the trailer. And yeah, if you like pause the scene, you're like, oh, that's Gwen. Oh, yeah. she probably died there. Like you could she tell. The entire yeah. movie was spoiled in the trailers. Uh, yeah. Side tangent, Sony marketing in general is really bad at this. The only time I've seen them actually not give it away is after they've joined with the MCU. Yeah. They, they shockingly kept the Mysterio twist out of the marketing. And then now with this new movie coming out this next week, who I am so hyped, um, they have not shown what everyone expects there to be in this movie yeah which spoiler alert is three webs shooting out <laughs> but yeah That's sorry do great getting back to your conversation yeah no yeah because when we have gwen here we have gwen gwen's sole purpose as a character and we were talking about this again until recently there gwen didn't have much except for the fact that she's the love interest that died like and now she's now we have like different renditions of the character. You have like Spider Gwen. You have like you have all of these expansive uses of the character. But until that point, it was really just the fact that she died, and that was like a massive moment in comic book history. Yeah, right. So why not subvert that? Let's keep her alive. Okay, she's hurt pretty bad, but she's alive. Oxford will still accept her when she gets out of hospital. See that Peter realizes that Captain Stacy was right. This is the here and now. It was by luck alone that he was able to save Gwen. The doctor tells him that Gwen is lucky to be alive. His enemies got this close to killing her, and he could have failed. He should have failed, but he didn't. Peter suddenly feels it. The responsibility he has to keep people safe extends also to Gwen, and he can't let her get hurt or killed. He so loves he her. dumps Gwen. I like yeah. this. I and like right this. here, he loses Gwen, but not in depth. The two have a tearful goodbye as she leaves to Oxford and Peter breaks up with her. It's hard, but they both understand it's for the best. Everyone at this point in the movie has run out of time and nothing has ended the way that anyone wanted it to. Electro has been defeated and is being held in an energy prison somewhere. Harry hasn't been seen for days following Norman's death and Peter and Gwen have broken up against their best efforts. May reflects on Ben once more here at the end. Uh, at some point, so that we have like that that full closure moment. Spidey stays in New York and remains its defender, but he's off his game for a while. That's how we have this. I love that scene where he comes back to the grave again and again, 
he comes back to the gravestone yeah. again and again and again at different seasons at different times. I love that. Have something like that, but don't have it beat to a gravestone. Be like him in his room or something. And it's like it's hard for him to engage with the city or you're like continue to be this defender until the rhino shows or, up. Or or alternatively, uh you could have his dad show up at the cemetery. Oh uh, no, I thought I could skirt around that Ruben. No scene, baby. He's no. back alive, baby. No, no. And he gives him the great power, great responsibility line. That's what Mark intended, JQ. That's what he wanted. Mark and the writers. The writers they, are misinformed. But it got cut. Good. Look, here's the problem, Ruben. Third, okay, stupid decisions like that are what bring this movie down. As a as someone who's been in like creative writing workshops or creative writing classes, one of the biggest things that you have as a recommendation after a draft that you've written or after mm -hmm. working on a story for a bit is to look for the through lines. Look for symbols that you see throughout. Look for kind of like these things that keep sticking back up. And there are so many in this movie in this movie in particular. So many great threads that we have here. Like, dude, it's amazing. Like, but none of them are taken advantage of because we're too worried about the future. What we, you and me got into, I, 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 I texted you feverishly after I finished watching this movie because something that's ruining superhero movies today mm -hmm. is this idea of kind of like, what's next? What's next? What's next? There's not enough time spent on individual products and on developing those. There's so much amazing potential in the superhero genre. Frank Miller understood that. Alan Moore understood that. If we're talking about movies, James Mangold, Christopher I, Nolan. I DC Comics has had a bigger issue with this. Marvel, I will say, has had this issue to a lesser degree. Yeah. Um, you still have James Gunn did whatever the hell he wanted with the Guardians movies. Yeah. You still had Ryan Coogler being able to tell a complex race story using a fictional nation in Wakanda. And yeah. they let him do whatever he wanted there. I feel the Marvel method is Feige and company will give you a couple bullet points here. Here's what we need for long term. Now do whatever the hell you want. And their long term plan has changed so much. Like yeah. if you hear them talk about Infinity War Endgame, those weren't set in stone for 10 years. They worked towards the Thanos storyline, but they didn't know exactly how that was going to go down. Yeah. I think the issue with studios like Sony with these amazing Spider-Man movies or Justice League, Batman versus Superman, all that stuff. Justice League. Justice League. Because they inhibited what uh, Zack Snyder did with his stuff to a degree. Like, not all this stuff was brilliant, but they added in all of this BS stuff hey we have to set up this entire universe here you go the issue here is they try to build the cart before the horse to use that old saying yeah um they are trying to count their eggs before they hatch if you were. they know that comic book uh properties are big now and if done right you can get a bunch of money if you have something built big um that you build to what they are missing is what kevin feige and company did which was develop compelling stories with these characters and eventually move them towards a bigger conflict. 
Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. And that, I guess, if we're talking in the threat of Spider-Man, a bit why I'm, I'm worried for home, for far from home. Not far from home. No I way know. home. No way home. Thank you, Ruben. There's home in the title. Home's, it, home's yeah. still in the title. There's home in every single one of the time. I think it could be a great movie. And I'm excited to see Toby and Andrew returning. Most Allegedly. Allegedly. So that Kevin Feige doesn't pull the trigger on the sniper that's waiting outside of my door window. Oh, but Jonathan, like, you're not important enough for that. I know. Hey! <laughs> anyway, sorry, what was your point? Any, po- any, any point. Anyway, like, my worry is that we're working on, again with this idea of, like, big event and not focusing so much on these individual stories. There are things worth telling in each of these. I, for example, I can start to see why people like Spider-Man 2 so much is that, for example, that's free of all these 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 like restraints that come with this demand for interconnectivity and this demand by studios to have a certain project. I get it. I personally still like Holland's movies better, I think, than Spider-Man 2. I think Spider-Man 2 is a phenomenal movie that engages with phenomenal themes about responsibility, about letting go of dreams, about selflessness. But Let's not get ahead of ourselves and review the Holland movies, JQ. That's, that's- true. My thing is that this want for interconnectivity or this want for big event movies can be kind of harmful for the superhero genre in a way. Um, I think there's a lot of potential in this genre still. Like I said, I listed off a couple creators who I think have done great work. Um, if we're talking the pinnacle of superheroes, we got to talk about Watchmen, for example. How it's not so much a superhero story, it's a story being told with superheroes. There's so many interesting stories still to be told and sometimes they get wasted. Amazing Spider-Man 2 is a case of that, where we've just kind of gone through, hit a few points here, but like things that they could have pulled on, this idea of time, this idea of control, you could have at the end too. This is another point I forgot to, to mention. Electro, it's, it's also maybe Electro wanting this control. If you want to keep the Green Goblin in there somehow, Electro desiring this control, and Peter hearing about this control that Electro wants over his life. Peter's realizing how much control he's trying to keep over his life, how he's trying to keep his relationship, how he's trying to keep his friendships established, how he's trying to keep this responsibility of Spider-Man, but he can't do all of it. Like, he's trying so hard to control every aspect of his life, but there's no way to do it, sanely. Like, everyone is an individual, and as much as you want things to bend to your will, they're not going to bend to your will. Time, again... Is that is the kind of thing that shapes and moves all. It breaks down mountains. It erodes stone. It destroys valleys. It melts icebergs. It's impossible to to, to fight against time. This movie could have been such a powerful statement on again these ideas of responsibility when it comes to Spider-Man, but also this idea of like as much of a superhero as you are, as much of a powerful person as you are. What are some things that even you can't fight against? That's something we see with Superman, for example. Superman loses his father in the comics because of a heart attack. There's nothing he can do about that. That's time taking its toll. That's disease coming in. There's or a so tornado can, can come in and take his father. I don't know who Kevin Cosner is, Ruben. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> My point, though, to 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 bring this kind of side this sidetrack to an end because I know we're running out of time and we all have places to be or whatnot, but like. There's so many interesting 
things we can still do with the superhero genre. And I, I really hope that creators can engage with that moving forward and that people are given more freedom to do that moving forward. Now that we have so many superhero products that are working really well, now we can get our Invincibles or our The Boys or, you know, things that do something different with the genre. And it's exciting. We have but, entered the deconstruction age of the superhero uh, genre. Hopefully which, I can throw my hat in there fast enough, ladies and gentlemen. But, but yeah, there's a there is a lot that can still be explored in this genre, and they have to take big swings or else this is going to get stale eventually. Yeah, for the audience, there but, is this. Um, oh, I'm sorry, but yeah, just but, real quick, there's this theory, um, in writing, that essentially every story has already been told. But right, yeah, the thing is, each generation can tell those stories in new ways. Yes superhero the superhero genre can be a vehicle for that kind of thing it can oh, be a vehicle for taking these old stories these old tied into tales of morality and of like the importance of human life or how to engage with identity and individuality and, and destiny versus what we make of our own lives there's so many interesting things that you can engage with with this and i'm very excited to see that because now we're enter entering the deconstruction age, moving beyond the Spider-Man yeah. movies, I guess we've gone way off from TASM two. But like, this is the type of movie to make you kind of think about that because like you see so much good in this. There is so much good. I don't want. I wish this movie for me wasn't a two out of ten because there's really so much potential. Quite honestly, most pieces of art or movies they have their merits. It's just so hard to stick the landing with anything yeah. in the arts. Especially when money's in, the, in it, it comes in, in into the into play. That's sad. As a, as an artist, last thing last thing to state on my on my end here. As an as as someone who's also an artist uh, or an aspiring artist, let's not get ahead of yeah. our, Let's not get ahead of ourselves. All right. And then, I haven't done anything big yet. Um, but yeah, there comes this point where you have to compromise your own vision sometimes with the fact that you got to keep the lights on um and it sucks but it's all about kind of finding a way to find the happy medium between those two things um and creating something beautiful while still kind of being able to support oneself but in the case of these big studio movies it's kind of a shame because they don't need technically that big of returns they don't need all that stuff there's so much of a cushion and a safety net to just create and just do what you gotta do that it's surprising to me that they're still turning out formulaic movies like that but that's neither here or there man Ruben when did I uh when did I get on the soapbox I don't know but I think it's time to get down I think it's time for the all right, and that concludes uh, this episode of Pop Cultural Quintessentials with Cubed. Um, next time, we will be talking about Spider-Man Homecoming as we move into the final act of our Spider-Man rewatch. Call an ambulance. <laughs> that is JQ. This is Ruben. Um, we send our regards on the part of Jacob. Have a good night, morning afternoon evening whenever you're listening to this just enjoy the rest of whatever time of the day it is that was the most stilted uh reinterpretation of the truman show i've heard very fitting to close the, the amazing spider-man honestly <laughs> yeah.